So I want to say some words about uniting ourselves to the Mass, uh, and that has an obvious relevance for us every time we come to Mass, at least every Sunday. Um, but I have as a particular focus the thought, if we can't get to Mass, if your work takes you away from Mass, if your placement, if you can't get to Mass, if you're sick and at home, how do we unite ourselves to the Mass also spiritually at a distance? So it's about uniting ourselves to the Mass. So we first think, why the Mass? What is the Mass about? What's the purpose, in particular, of coming to Mass? Um, the most common answer I imagine people in our congregation would give today, um, but the wrong answer, is it's about receiving communion. Um, and that isn't the primary thing Mass is about. Mass is primarily a prayer. It's primarily about the worship of God. It's primarily about keeping the Lord's Day holy, uh, using the form of worship he gave us. And receiving communion is a very important part of that, but it's a secondary part. It's not the primary part. Um, so Mass is about worship, giving God what he is worth. Um, and I can't give God what he's worth because he's infinite. You can't give God what he's worth. He's infinite. But Jesus can give God what he's worth because Jesus is himself God. And he, on the cross, offered himself in the perfect prayer to the Father. And when we unite ourselves to that prayer in the Mass, we're able to give him proper worship. So basically I've got three parts to this talk, um, three aspects of the Mass as a liturgy that I'm going to focus on. The liturgy, the Word, um, offering the sacrifice, and then receiving Holy Communion. Uh, and each of those three we can think of in terms of how to better engage while we're at Mass, but also if we can't attend Mass far away, we can unite ourselves to each of those three actions in different ways. So first, the Liturgy of the Word. So in the Liturgy of the Word, we have God speaking to us. In the Liturgy of the Word, the, the heart of it uh, is reading, uh, hearing the read to us the words of God in the Bible. The Bible being the Word of God not just um, our words. We don't sit around and read a nice poem that somebody wrote last week, even if it is a nice poem. We read the Bible, uh, and it's then explained to us in the sermon. So God comes to us through the church. And on one level, that's the pattern of all life, that God speaks to us through his church. That the Bible, well, the Bible only comes to us through his church. Who put the different books of the Bible together? It was his church. Why are these books there and not other books? His church. Who wrote the different bits that are in the Bible? His church. Um, and it's handed on to us, it's given to us, it's proposed to us by his church. Um, 
Now that happens in the Mass. Um, so when we're listening at the Mass, we should be aware, who is speaking to me now? God is speaking to me. What am I hearing as the Bible is being read to me? I am hearing God speaking to me in his inspired words. And in particular, what is being described to us? Well, what does the Bible contain? It contains the record of what's called salvation history, a particular package of history by which our salvation was worked out. Not just deeds of long ago, but saving deeds of long ago, things by which God was particularly active. And so when we're listening to those, we should be wanting to listen to God speaking to me. So when I'm sat there in the church, that's what I should want. I should be listening, thinking God is speaking to me. And at a distance, if we can't get to Mass, um, maybe if we can get to Mass on Sunday, but during the week, we can still unite ourselves to that desire to hear God through the Mass. This is a, a privileged moment by which he speaks to us. And you may have heard that said too many times. What you're less likely to have heard is the thought of that in itself being an act of worship. So when in God's house, in God's liturgy of the Mass, we read aloud before him, of the mighty deeds he has done, this is an act of giving worship to him. We do this particularly, um, or particularly obviously, in the Psalms. What do the Psalms describe again and again and again? They describe the mighty deeds God has done. The Psalms speak about how God rescued his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt. The Psalms speak about how David was forgiven of his sins by the Lord. The um, Psalms speak about how the people were given the promised land. The Psalms speak about how God made the, the earth and sky. And we repeat this before God. We praise God using his very words, his inspired word in the Bible. We repeat that, we read it before him as a way of praising him, as a way of giving worship to him. So um, I'm not familiar enough with the old form of the Mass to um, remember exactly whether it's the low form or the high form and which aspect of the different forms. But in some of the old Mass, um, the liturgy of the Word, the Bible is read by the priest stood at the altar facing God, which makes this thing even more explicitly clear. The purpose of reading God's Word to God in the prayers of the Mass is to praise God. I praise him by reading to him the record of what he has done, what he has done to save us. Now that's relevant in terms of our drawing from the Mass for our daily life because that should also be a pattern of how we praise God all the time. We praise God by praising him for the things he has done. I praise God, as his word does in the Bible, 
by praising him for having rescued the people, the chosen people from Egypt, uh, in, from slavery in Egypt, from having delivered all kinds of sin, as we read of in the Bible, from their sin, from how, as we heard on Sunday, delivering St. Paul. Um, I praise God by repeating to him the things he has done. The things he's done in the Bible, but also then the things he's done in my personal life. I praise God, I thank God for the fact he has done this for me, he's done that for me. Including when he's brought me low in this, and when he's humbled me in this. But also when he's strengthened me in this, when he's enabled me to do what I couldn't have done by myself. So in all these things, how do I pray to God? I pray to God in the very pattern that he has given me in the Bible and that his church as a body together repeats in reading his inspired words of his great deeds in public in the Mass. So that's kind of the first of the three segments of the Mass I want to focus on. The liturgy of the Word in which it's God's words we remember what God did um, and how we repeat to God as a prayer to him, as an act of worship to him, what he has done. And this, even when we're not at Mass, we should be uniting ourselves to and be making our pattern at home. Second aspect, um, the aspect of offering of sacrifice. Um, that the Mass is the sacrifice of the Mass. Now, what sacrifice is it? Um, well, the sacrifice of the Mass isn't a different sacrifice from the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's the same sacrifice as Jesus on the cross. That on the cross, he offered himself to the Father in a bloody, painful sacrifice. In the Mass, who is being made present on the altar? Well, it's Jesus. What is the sacrifice being made present on the altar? It's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. While that sacrifice was offered in a bloody form, it's the same sacrifice made present on the altar in an unbloody form. So to quote the Council of Trent, to make it clear this isn't just what I think, the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same, the same now offers through the ministry of priests, who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. So one sacrifice, Jesus, not two different sacrifices. So the sacrifice of the Mass, it's not repeating the sacrifice of the cross. It's not replacing the <coughs> sacrifice of the cross. It is the sacrifice of the cross made present on the altar. And this is why symbolically Jesus uses two forms, two species to make his himself present, that the bread and the wine. What's the you know, if it's just about him being present, well he doesn't need more than one thing to make himself present. There is a sign value in that separation. A body being separate from blood is a sign of death. 
if you separate my blood from my body, I will be dead. Um, the sign sacrifice on the altar of body and blood appearing in two forms, the appearance of bread and the appearance of wine, that is a sign of death. So I've often heard people talk about, well, when they receive the chalice, they receive an additional sign. But they rarely think, say, articulate what is that additional sign, or what's the sign of sacrifice. That's the sign of the two species. That's why um, the church says there should always be a clearly visible crucifix by the altar so that this union between the sacrifice of the cross and the sacrifice on the altar is, is kind of visibly clearly linked. Um, another point about this, um, the Mass is a memorial. We often talk about it as a memorial. The prayers refer to it as a memorial. What's it a memorial of? Well, again, you'll often hear people say, oh, well, it's a memorial of the Last Supper. Well, it isn't a memorial of the Last Supper. It's a memorial of the cross. That at the Last Supper, Jesus instituted this memorial of the cross, he instituted the Mass. Even though he hadn't yet died on the cross, he knew he would, and at the Last Supper he instituted this memorial of the cross. So the cross, the Mass, the Last Supper are all united, but the Mass isn't a memorial of the Last Supper, it's a memorial of the cross. Okay, I'm not going to quote texts on that, but um, that points made in the Catechism too. <clears throat> Just to emphasise the point about the importance of the sacrifice of the cross. Um, the cross is, or rather Jesus on the cross, uh, is the perfect prayer. Um, Jesus on the cross sums up, uh, to quote the Catechism, sums up all the petitions and intercessions of salvation history of all of human history, of all of humanity, is all summed up in this, the perfect man on the cross, who on the cross cries out to the Father on our behalf. All prayer of human history is united, is funneled, finds its meaning in the Lord on the cross. So our prayer all through life should look to the Lord on the cross. So when um, I'm doing anything in life and I'm offering a prayer, I should be thinking I'm uniting this to the Lord Jesus on the cross. But also with that liturgical sense, that sense in time of here today, I should be aware I'm uniting it to the Mass. That all through the world, all down through the centuries, the cross is being made present by the mass being made present. Um, so we articulate this, um, or mo many of us will, I'm sure, in, I've got a copy of a morning offering I'll give you in a bit. 
most morning offering prayers by which at the start of the day we unite the whole day that lies ahead to the God to God in, a, in an offering consciously unite ourselves to the Mass all through the world this day the Mass is being offered and at the start of this day I unite my day with all of those Masses in that one single offering to the Father O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world. So, physically far apart from the Mass, physically maybe unable to get to Mass, whatever I am doing, I offer it through the Mass. It's another phrase we use in the liturgy that comes from the Bible, a royal priesthood. Um, that the entire people of God are a royal priesthood. We are a kingly nation. The entire people have this task of offering worship to God. Um, so St. Peter puts it this way, like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the role of every Christian, to be in union with the Mass, to be in union with the ministerial priesthood offering on the, the sacrifice at the altar, uh, to be a nation of priests, in union with the cross, in union with the Mass. So, at Mass, when you're physically at Mass, three pivotal moments to draw your attention to that way. When physically, um, at Mass is where we have an offertory procession, when the bread and wine are carried forward, we should consciously be thinking, I am bringing my life with this bread and wine. That this bread and wine that are brought from the people, through the people, are symbolic of the lives of the people being offered in the Mass. Then at the elevation, when the priest raises the newly consecrated species, the moment that he, the Lord Jesus, has become present, that's a particular moment to be uniting myself to the sacrifice. And then at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, the priest raises um, the host and the chalice, or if the deacon's assisting him, the deacon will hold the chalice. That is a particular elevation to unite ourselves to when the priest says through him with him in union with him what's the him in union with him the him who has become there in the very hands of the priest through him um, I'm offering this prayer to the father that's a pivotal moment in the mass for you too with whatever prayers we're bringing to the Lord to be thinking through this, through him, I'm uniting this. So obviously we can do that at Mass, but when we're far away from Mass, we can do that too. Okay, the third element. Um, communion. Receiving Holy Communion. Being fed. 
So we are not strong enough in life by ourselves. We need God. We need to be spiritually fed by him. But the feeding we get comes to us with this sacrifice. And this is actually the pattern um, of sacrifice. So the pattern, um, the ancient pattern of sacrifice, whether you were a pagan or whether you were a Jew, you offered the sacrifice at the altar and then you ate the sacrifice. Um, so the burnt offering would be communally eaten. Um, and in the Bible, this is particularly the case with what are called the covenant sacrifices. So the pagan religions also had this pattern. You offer something to your pagan gods, you sacrifice a cow to him, and then you as a have communion with God in eating of this sacrifice you have offered to him. In the Jewish religion, that same pattern, but in a more precise form, happens. Particularly the covenant sacrifices by which an agreement between God and his chosen people. He will give them this if they will be faithful to him in that. Um, and sacrifices are offered in covenant sacrifices and there is a communal eating of that offered sacrifice. What do we say in the Mass? What are the words of institution the Lord Jesus gave us at the Last Supper? The blood of the new covenant. These are the words said in the Eucharistic prayer. That it is a covenant sacrifice offered on the altar. The covenant in his blood. And we partake of that covenant in Holy Communion. So it's not just being fed because I need it and it's about me. It's a being fed in this partaking of this communal, covenantal um, action. So in the covenants of the Old Testament, you had to sign up to follow God as God has commanded in the different laws of the different parts of the different covenants. In the new covenant, it's... It's an offence against God to take communion but not want to sign up to what he asks of us. No, so it's, I'm wanting to be part of this new life, this new way of living, everything he's asking of me. I'm partaking of that, committing myself to that in this mass of the new covenant, this eating of the sacrificial meal of the new covenant. the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. Quoting St. Paul, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation, communion in the body of Christ? That it's not just a random being fed, but being fed of him. And wanting to be united to all of his new covenant in that feeding. So what we're receiving in Holy Communion isn't a what, isn't a thing, it's a who, it's him. He's the one I need.
And although it still looks like bread, although it still tastes like wine, he says it is his body. He says it is his blood. And so seeing, touching, tasting are indeed deceived, but what says trusty hearing, that shall be believed. He says so. I believe what he says. This is what faith means. I believe you. You say it. I believe you. Um, so there is no bread left. There is no wine left. There is what he said himself. And so we use this word transubstantiation. The substance trans has gone across, has changed. What is present is his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. Two little spiritual applications of this. Um, adapted to our every need. So many spiritual writers um, draw on the references to the manna in the Old Testament about how that fed the people of old, but fed them adapted to their every need. Well, this is even more true of the bread of the new covenant, the bread that is him. Everything I could possibly need, him, comes to me. But he also comes to me, he knows what I need more than I know it. And he adapts himself to come as I need him. What strength do I need this night? What strength do I need this day? He knows, and he comes with that. There's a quote, the Book of Wisdom. So this is in the, the author of Wisdom talking to God. Without their toil, you supplied them with bread from heaven ready to eat, providing every pleasure and suited to every taste, changed into whatever each one desired. So that adapted to every need in the Old Testament manner, even more truly in the New. So that has um, an obvious application when we're at Mass. Uh, if we have disposed ourselves, if we've been to confession properly, if we are ready to receive him, to receive him, asking him to give me all the graces he comes ready to give me. But through the week, through the day, every time I remember I need him, to make a spiritual communion, to say, Lord, come to me again. Come to me with the strength you alone can give me. Uh, so this is what we call making a spiritual communion, even when we're not physically at Mass. So one of the prayers I say in this regard, I wish, Lord, to receive you with the purity, humility and devotion with which your most holy mother received you, with the spirit and fervour of the saints. So when I feel weak, I make an act of spiritual communion. When I feel strong, I should make an act of spiritual communion. Whatever I need him, and he comes with what I need. Um, so at least once a day, even apart from my the times I come into the church to say the prayers that I'm kind of required to say. I make it my practice to also come into the day church once a day 
just spontaneously to make a spiritual communion, to visit the Lord in the tabernacle and unite him, to say that I wish Lord to receive you, um, to invite him again into my heart. Okay, a final little appendix, um, just on the duty to attend Mass on Sunday. So, um, it's the Lord's Day, Sunday, so we need to sanctify it to keep the third commandment, keep the Lord's Day holy. He doesn't say keep some of them holy. He says keep the day holy, every Lord's Day holy. The witness of the saints tells us, shows us, how so many saints down the centuries have been willing even to die and to behave in a way that risks death in order to get to Mass, in order to sanctify the Lord's Day by getting to Mass. So Pope John Paul II, Saint Pope John Paul II, uh, had a letter he issued on keeping the Lord's Day holy, Dies Domini, um, and he quotes um, a series of ancient martyrs under ancient Rome, who when they were being interrogated by the Emperor, you know, why have you done what you have done? You know, that what they were doing was forbidden. Um, why have you gone to Mass? Um, they say, without fear of any kind, we have celebrated the Lord's Supper because it cannot be missed. That is our law. Another said, we cannot live without the Lord's Supper. Another said, yes, I went to the assembly and I celebrated the Lord's Supper with my brothers and sisters because I am a Christian. We have this witness from the early church onwards. Um, if you're a Christian, if you follow the Lord, you keep the Lord's Day holy by the Mass. And in England in particular, we should be clear of this, that um, the English martyrs of the Reformation, this is the thing above all that they died for. Um, that priests, um, even when it was illegal to be a Catholic, um, they came across from the continent. They came across to make mass available to scattered pockets of faithful Catholics. They risked their lives to make the mass available. The laity risked their lives hiding the priests so that the priests would be able to give them the Mass. That they recognise the pivotal place of the Mass if we are to be faithful to the Lord. So that they give us this, this witness of the, the importance of this. Um, and so the law of the Church articulates that we are obliged each and every Sunday uh, to attend Holy Mass. with some exceptions. So, who is going, someone has to run the nuclear power plant on a Sunday or else it will blow up and we'll all die. Um, somebody has to feed uh, the sick on a Sunday. Um, there are various things that have to be done on a Sunday, even if the Lord's Day is to be kept holy, even if the Lord's Day is to be a day set apart from work. Um, even in 
a properly functioning Catholic nation, even in such a nation, there are some things that somebody has to do on a Sunday and they won't be able to get to Mass. So people who have those jobs aren't obliged to get to Mass. So the canon law says, unless excused for a serious reason, for example, illness, the care of infants, um, or dispensed by their own pastor. So someone who's unsure whether the circumstances apply to them, they can go to their parish priest and he can dispense them. But even if we're dispensed from Sunday Mass, we're not dispensed from our human need to pray. I still need prayer, even if I can't get to Sunday Mass. I still need, I owe it to God to worship him, even if I'm not able to worship him with the Mass. Um, and so I need to, even if I can't get to Mass, find something to keep my prayer alive, to keep my union with him. Um, there's nothing that is an exact replacement for the Mass, so there's no direct alternative that the law of the church says, well, if you can't get to Mass, then this is what you must do. Nothing can replace the Mass. But there are many forms of prayer that we can do to support ourselves in prayer, to unite ourselves also with the Mass. So to read the Sunday Mass readings by yourself in union with the liturgy of the word at Mass. To read those Sunday readings thinking of how these readings of the word of God speak to me, are God speaking to me as he speaks to me in the liturgy of the word at the Mass. These recounting of the great deeds of God are glorifying God, worshipping God as they do in the Mass when we recite them there. I spiritually unite Every bit of my day, every action I'm doing, every difficulty I've got, every joy I've got, I unite it to Jesus on the cross, to Jesus in the holy sacrifice at the altar, by thinking of the Mass wherever it is. And to repeat the third point, um, whenever I need God, whenever I remember I need God, even when I don't feel I need God, I still need Him. I call upon Him, I invite Him into my soul uh, in an act of spiritual communion. All right.